Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage the showman, Mr. Frankie Shinta. Welcome back to another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment, primarily music. I am Bruce Wozniak, talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Do please stay connected. You can write to podcast at nhte.net, or instead of email, you are welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Anything and everything to do with this podcast or the entertainment industry itself, I look forward to hearing from you. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Las Vegas, my guest is an entertainer who is a singer, multi-instrumentalist, impressionist, and comedian who has been the heart and soul of his show for over four decades and has been headlining his own show in Las Vegas for over 18 years. He also still performs on the road, having bookings this year alone in locations ranging from Cleveland to Buffalo to Paso Robles, California to Rochester, New York, and more. He does a stage show that features big band and a 32-piece orchestra, plus he performs a live weekly show on Facebook. He was a guest on this show way, way back eight years ago this month on episode 35. It's my pleasure to welcome back to now hear this entertainment, Frankie Shinta. Hey, hi, Bruce. How are you? Great. And hello, everybody. Uh, you know, it, it's it's an honor. To, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, we were the Shintas then. Had my brother Joe, my sister Chrissy. And, uh, you know, if I could tell you how many times over my lifetime I've been made offers to go out on my own from television people to uh, guys that were not in television, they were these other guys. <laughs> <laughs> these old Sicilian guys. <laughs> and I always said, no, no, I work with my family. But what if we could really take care of you and you could take care of them? And mm. I said, no, it doesn't work that way. Wow. I'm Sicilian. My family's everything in my life. And who knew that I would be left on my own anyway? Yeah. And to continue to perform, as you know, my brother Joe was one of the funniest men on earth. His Joe Cocker, Rich Little, you know, the great impressionist said his impression of Joe Cocker was the best impression of a human being he's ever seen. Mm. Uh, And I was standing right there. I go, well, wait a minute. I do impressions. He goes, yeah, that's nice. (laughs) But... But uh, Joe was very funny. He never did. He always did his characters as tongue in cheek. Never like these guys that dress up like them and want to look like them. Mm. Joe wanted to be as silly as he possibly could be. And, uh, you know, five years ago this November, Joey, Joey went home to be with the Lord. And, and Chrissy had to retire, who's another story, an incredible, incredible voice gift from God she has, and she had to be sidelined because of her vocal cords hemorrhaging. So here I am, this many years later, 22 years now headlining in Vegas, and it's a little different these days. Vegas has changed, which I'm sure we'll get to, but I'm still doing it with my big band, like you said in your introduction, and I have a 32-piece orchestra I work with, and we've done a bunch of concerts around the country uh, with uh, with symphonies, with pop orchestras. And I'll tell you, I love those too. But I really love my big band. And when it's just, you know, my rhythm section, horns, and we could go anywhere with that, with that setup. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, never mind eight years ago when you were first on Now Hear This Entertainment. But as I mentioned in the intro, over four decades that you've been at it. If someone would have told you back then in those early years that in the year 2022, you would still be at it, entertaining audiences in Las Vegas and beyond, what would your reaction have been back then? Wow. 
I would have said probably God willing. <laughs> um, I, I, I really don't know. I mean, I'll, I know I'm going to perform until I can't perform anymore. I don't care how old I get. The word retire is not in my vocabulary. <laughs> Other than my family, which I have seven grandbabies now mm. and one on the way, typical Italian family. <laughs> um, other than them and my wife and my children and my brother, Tony, and my immediate family, I live to be on that stage. Mm. It is where I, I, every night, no matter where it is, when it is, I'm chopping at the bit to take the stage. I live to perform. I live to grab somebody's heart and hold it in my hand. I live to make somebody laugh. I, 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 it's a great feeling. And what a gift I've been given to be able to do this because I'm sure there's a lot of people that wish they could, Yeah. but I've just been given this great gift from up above that when I sing or perform or tell jokes or do my show, people listen and it still blows me away. <laughs> you know, there's other shows I do with other entertainers and they'll go up and people are talking, ordering drinks. Mm. Once I get on that stage, it all stops. And I don't know why. Mm. Maybe because I'm a little, I'm a little forward. <laughs> Lack of a better word. I'm a little vociferous, if you will. Um, I know you got a bunch of questions for me and I'm rambling on with you. Well, yeah, I want to jump in there and say, I think the polite way that they say it in the show business would be something like, quote, Frankie commands the stage. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, yeah. You know why? I just, not that I think who I am or better than anyone. It's just that I'm very sure of where I'm going, but I never know where I'm going. Mm, interesting. If that makes sense. I never know what I'm going to say or what piece of comedy will arise wow. because I work with the audience and I really don't, but man, oh man, I've been blessed to find that alley that gets to people's funny bone gets to their heart every time. Well, I don't want to say every time because there are times when you walk off the stage, even with a standing ovation, you go, I don't think I got him. Mm. I don't think I did it. Wow. And that still happens. It did when I was a kid. It does now. And it's one out of a hundred shows, you know, mm -hmm. you'll just, you know, they stood up, they clapped, but you walk off the stage going, that wasn't my best. Well, but you know, Frankie, I think in those instances, it keeps you hungry and it keeps you working harder because you're not putting it on cruise control and you are paying attention to your gut and to the audience. And you're saying, Boy, just I didn't get them tonight, and and tomorrow night I will. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the big guy's way of keeping us humble, <laughs> and, and I certainly get humbled now and then. <laughs> there you go. But that's okay. Yeah, I, that's okay. I'm only human, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll if there's if I'm performing three nights, let's do it tomorrow. I'll yep. get them tomorrow. Yep. Yeah, we all can benefit from a piece of humble pie now and then. <laughs> Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's a good teacher. Well, whenever I have a repeat guest on the show, I don't go back and listen to the first one. So while, folks, there is an outside chance that we might repeat something, A, I will have a link on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net, to the first interview that Frankie and I did in October 2014. So you can go back and listen to that. But B... Frankie, so much has happened since that first conversation we had that we can talk about today, in addition to just some great showbiz insights that I know that you're going to lend. And for starters, you covered this already, but it bears repeating. Back in 2013, your sister retired from singing. And then since our first interview also, you mentioned that Joey passed away. It'll be five years next month, November 2017. And I kind of liken this to Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees carrying on after he lost his brothers, Robin and Maurice. Can you talk about the decision you made to carry on and keep performing after that and whether there was any thought to just hanging it up? Well, I'll tell you the night, the day my brother Joe passed away, I was on stage rehearsing with my big band and waiting for Joe to get there. I'm sorry. Waiting. That was the first time he had a stroke. I'm sorry. Uh, 
the night Joe was already in hospice and we had been performing a few shows without him. Mm. Uh, at about 6 PM, the president of the casino walks up to the stage and says, Frankie, I just heard about your brother with, while he was speaking to me, my phone rang and it was Joe's wife telling me that Joe had passed. Mm. So he says, listen, you don't have to do a show tonight. I said, how many people are coming? He said, well, we got about 400. Mm. Uh, it's a good room. I said, then we're doing a show. Wow. He goes, are you serious? I said, yes, I will perform tonight. Mm. And I did. And at the very end of the show, I looked out at the audience. And this still hurts a little bit. <clears throat> and I said, folks, if I wasn't quite as funny as I always am, it's because today I lost my brother. Mm. And this was at the end of the show. And the, the mood of the audience changed rapidly. And they gave me probably one of the greatest innovations I ever had. Mm -hmm. And the reason I did that is because Joe and I and my sister, we always said, no matter what happens, we are going to perform. That's why we were put on this earth. Mm. And I did that night and I'm glad I did. And you know where I got that from? It, it hit me a long time ago. I was a little boy and red skeleton. I don't know if you're old enough, Bruce. Yeah. Yeah. I remember red him. Skelton had, had his own TV. Right. He had done his whole show. And at the end of the show, he apologized to the audience about the same way I did. Mm. And he said, mm. I apologize, but today I lost my son. Oh, gosh. And I can't even imagine a father <sighs> losing a son. I mean, I want to be gone way before any of my children or grandchildren. I'm ready to go right now. Just don't take time. Yeah. So that is a little boy hit me hard. And I said, oh, my God, that guy just did an entire show. And we never knew it till the very end. Yeah. And that stuck with me my most of my life, which is up until now. Mm. So that night I performed. Shortly after that, we did a huge memorial party here in Vegas. And we did one in Buffalo, New York, where we're originally from. And I'm telling you, hundreds and hundreds of people showed up to memorialize my brother, Joe. It, it was an incredible moment in my life to see the love that he had given and shared with people. So here I am with you and me and no Joe, no Chrissy, <laughs> but Chrissy's healthy and alive. And I'm still hoping one day I'll get her back on stage. Mm, wow. Oh boy. What a powerful way to start. And for anyone in the audience who's an aspiring performer, I know there are going to be more moments like that. There's going to be some teaching moments on this episode. And this interview will be a terrific opportunity to learn from someone who has been a headliner in Las Vegas and has, for all intents and purposes, seen it all, so to speak. And if you are doing music, you want to give your audience top quality in everything you do, including professional audio. I am grateful to Focus Right for being a sponsor of this show. And I'm also a very, very satisfied Focusrite user. In fact, if you've been around the audio scene enough, you not only know their name, but you more than likely are familiar with their scarlet range of audio interfaces. They even have two studio bundles that include a microphone and headphones, those being the Scarlet Solo Studio and the Scarlet 2i2 Studio, the latter of which I have and can absolutely recommend. Some of this starts to sound a little techy, maybe, and even though I've talked about how user-friendly their gear is, I can put your mind at ease by telling you that Focusrite has 24-7 award-winning support thanks to having offices worldwide. Dig into their scarlet range of audio interfaces on my podcast website, nhte.net. Look for the Focusrite ad that says, Tell the World. It's in the right-hand column on desktop, or if you're on mobile, scroll down on nhte.net past the block of social media logos, and you will see that ad. Tap or click on that to go over to the Focusrite website and navigate to the details, the information, the specs on the Scarlet range of audio interfaces for pro audio quality sound for your projects. 
Frankie, let's dig in a little bit more here. This show of yours that you now have that, as I mentioned in the intro, wow, a 32-piece orchestra? Yes. Um, we did our first show at the Orleans here in Vegas, and it was very successful. And I'll tell you what, Bruce, to stand in front of real violins, all those horns, rhythm section, timpani, all the bells and whistles for any singer that lives and loves what they do. That to me was a dream come true because of course, guys like Sinatra, Dean Martin, even uh, Stevie wonder, Ray Charles, when they played in front of an orchestra, you knew it was real music. Mm. You felt it, you saw it, you heard it. It, it was magic in the making. And there are other artists that perform, but those stick out in my head. And I'll tell you, there is nothing like it for any entertainer listening. You must know what I mean, because it's a gift to be able to sing in front of that many incredible musicians. My musical director, arranger, Mariano Longo, who writes all my charts, whether it's for the big band or up to a hundred piece symphony orchestra. Mm. He's just a genius at what he does. I hear the parts and I could tell a player what to play, but God knows I can't write uh, it. <laughs> okay. Okay. But I'm curious though, because if there's somebody say, I'll just pick a random city. If there's someone say in Minneapolis that sees your show and says, we'd love to have this in Minneapolis. Do you bring an entire orchestra to Minneapolis or do you have to find an orchestra there and then go through the whole rehearsal and, and show prep to get them ready? Well, here's the thing that's great about orchestras around the country. Every one of those musicians are sight readers and brilliant A-plus sight readers. To get in an orchestra, you have to be brilliant at reading. And so we do pop orchestras around the country. We'll go to Ohio and we'll use the Akron Symphony or the Akron Pop Orchestra or the okay. Cleveland Pop Orchestra. Okay. Uh, or, yeah, that's what you do. Okay. And that's what entertainers do. You can't fly with 32 yeah. people. Yeah. God knows. I mean, especially today, you can't fly with two people in a quarter. Well, can you talk about how that show gets constructed? Because I imagine you cannot take what you were doing with your brother and, and with Pete, your drummer, and then just drop that show into a massively different configuration and environment like this. And then with that, what about song selection? Is it totally your choice because it's your show or is it ever sorry, but the orchestra just can't play that. And, and, you know, do songs get added and others taken out? How does all that get put together? No. Well, my Mariano, my musical director would fly with a suitcase, uh, specially made suitcase with all his charts or he'll PDF them in a file to each, to the conductor of that orchestra. And those people read those, they look at them. You have one rehearsal, maybe two mm. and you go. And it's like they've been playing it for their whole lives. That's how good these musicians are. They see it, they play it. And it's, and with a conductor, when Mariano's at the helm, you have a guy bringing them in, bringing them out, tempos, everything, and it just works. I mean, you know, there might be a faux pas here or there, but nothing the average human ear would pick out. Okay, but if we look at the show that you used to do with your brother and with Pete and things like, say, Jerry Lewis that was in there, Neil Diamond that was in there, Tony Bennett that was in there, you can't do that same show with a whole orchestra, I imagine. So did you have to create a whole new show yourself and just hand over to the musical director, this is the show I want to do? If that's exactly right. Wow. As time prevailed, as Joey wasn't feeling well, I was already changing material because I was worried about him. Mm. And I was already semi-prepared. Look, at if I have to do this on my own, I need to be ready. And so I started creating material, and my musical director did too. He came to me with songs. I want you to do this song. 
I want you to try this one. Ninety ah. percent of the time, I love them, and ten percent of the time, I go, "Sorry, I'm not going to do that one again." And this is after he wrote thirty-two parts for it. Oh boy! <laughs> but if it doesn't sell, it ain't worth doing. You know ah, what I mean? I like if that. the audience doesn't grip right, if it doesn't work, I don't care. Uh, if if David Foster wrote the chart, mm. if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I'm very specific on my material. And I'm specific on solos. I don't like solos. And if there is one, it's got to be short. Because what does the entertainer do while there's a guitar player taking a solo, a keyboard player taking a solo? I see so many shows. It's nice once, but when it's every song, and now let's give it to the saxophone. Now let's give it. That's not entertainment to me. That's music. And if you're a person that's into music and playing in a bar or a lounge, that's okay. But when you're on stage in front of an audience with a show, the gun is pointed right at you. Mm. And you are the fulcrum point. And that's why I do what I do. So solos are short or not existent. Okay. But the arrangements are huge. And I always like the arrangements to be big. Okay. And even uh, little ones like uh, World on a String, you know, uh, Buble did it. And, uh, or James Ingram, uh, uh, 100 Ways. Compliment what she does. Send her roses just because. Great song. Well, he wrote that for 32 pieces. Ah. And now when you have that, it's nice to take a little violin solo in there. Mm -hmm. You hear those violins, real strings. I mean, that's just, it blows you away. Mm. That's part of the show. Wow. Well, let's let's look at the, the humorous part of the show. How much rehearsal has to get done as it relates to everyone on stage knowing the cues for when you're going to do some comedy? And then similar to what we were just talking about, are you, quote unquote, writing new material? And I mean comedy and bringing it to rehearsal and saying, hey, tomorrow night before we do such and such a song, I'm going to do a new bit about, you know, joke X, Y, Z. Or is it maybe just as long as the orchestra conductor knows what I'm doing, we're good. All the musicians are just watching him. They're not keeping track of the jokes I'm telling. Well, that's basically it. I don't plan the comedy, ever. Hmm. I mean, there's like a piece of material that might be like, you know, George Burns doing a, a song and a joke. That would be something you go, okay, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that. Or Ray Charles, you know, uh, hey, mom, don't sit around. And, and that, I, I might do something funny in there, and they got to watch me. So when I sit at the piano, the orchestra knows they got to watch me, not the conductor. Ah, wow. Because I take over that position. Because when I move my head for a downbeat, I know where I'm going to hit. I can't be looking at a conductor and wait for him to tell me when to put put my head, you know, to give that downbeat. Mm. It's up to me. Like the, we have an incredible Billy Joel medley. Incredible. It's just powerful. And, you know, my, my conductor said, conduct this. I said, okay, but if it doesn't work, we're going to have to change it. They got to watch. Well, it, he goes, it really doesn't work that way. I said, well, when I'm sitting at the piano, it does. <laughs> because I can't be looking for your direction when I'm playing, I'm performing, I'm entertaining. Mm. So the, it didn't work out. I mean, the drummer would hit here, the bass player would hit there. Now when I give, uh, it's called an ictus, when you lift your head and down, like a conductor raises his arms, mm -hmm. and then the downbeat, that's an ictus, just before the one. And one, my head goes up, down, now everybody follows me, we're all hitting on the same beat. Mm, fascinating. But the comedy, no. I don't plan comedy. I In my mind, I go, uh, I want to talk about this, or I want to talk about that. But then I'll pick on somebody in the audience, yeah. <laughs> and the show takes a left turn because it's all different now. You know, the Jewish guy, the Italian guy, the white guy, the black guy, the Muslim. I mean, everybody's a target 
but they know where it's coming from. It's from my heart. And I know politically correctness, but guess what? That's not me. I am not politically correct, I'm saying. Yeah, and that audience, quote unquote, knew what they signed up for when they walked in. That's right. Everybody knows it's coming from my heart. Kind of Don Rickles-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of that form of comedy. Wow, this is terrific. I get away with a little more because I am, I am an old Sicilian. <laughs> so if they're going to shoot me, they got to get permission. <laughs> For those in the audience who are aspiring performers, can you talk about testing out new material whether that is some funny stuff you're adding to the show or trying out a song for the first time. Most people probably think there's only laughs to listen for with the funny stuff or applause to listen for with the song that you're adding. What else are you doing, though, Frankie, to gauge how something went over and if you are going to keep it in the show or maybe just make some minor tweaks or maybe scrap it? Yeah, that goes right to the audience. The utmost respect for the audience because... If they like it, they laugh, they cry, they cheer, that stayed in the show. If it doesn't, like I'll give you a perfect example. A song that I've always loved by Lou Rawls was Groovy People. I don't know if you remember. Groovy people, I like to be around groovy, groovy people. Well, when Lou Rawls sang it, it was great. So my musical director, uh, conductor, came to me and said, I'm going to write a chart for this. And he wrote it for the big band and 32 pieces. Well, I performed it once. I performed it twice. And then I looked at Mariano and I said, I'm not going to do that one again. Hmm. It's just a feeling you get. When there's not a reaction, get rid of it for any entertainer. If there's no reaction or somebody doesn't turn their head and stop and watch what you're doing, if they don't laugh, get rid of it. Don't keep trying it. Just dump it. And it don't matter how much work you put into it, how many rehearsals you did, the audience is the final answer. You could think it's going to be great. Oh, this is going to be great. What song did we do? We were at the Hilton the second time we went to the Hilton. And the guys that were producing our show were from England. And they wanted us to do people all over the world. Join hands. Join the love train. Love train. And it was beautiful. The harmonies were great. The band was great. We did it as a closer. It was like the audience... It was like a fruit fly looking at a plastic orange. <laughs> they they just kind of looked at us. Wow. Like, why did you do that? Wow. We went upstairs to the dressing room, and we all looked at each other and go, that's out. Wow. wow. I mean, we just threw it out. I mean, and that's after rehearsal. <laughs> You're doing a great job of painting a picture here because, again, for those of you in the audience – what Frankie is saying is that, of course, the audience is going to applaud after a song. But if all they're doing is applauding, it's because they know the song is stopped and that is when audiences applaud. But if you don't see them singing along, if they're not waving their hands, if they're not putting their arms around each other, getting out of their seat, those are other visual cues, Frankie, that you're looking for because, yeah, they're going to applaud just because that's what happens during a live performance when a song ends. So I love all these insights that you're giving of other things that you as the entertainer are looking for and listening for when you're standing on stage stage performing that song absolutely man it's a hundred and ten please take my advice i don't care if you're young in this business or old in this business and never perform for yourself Mm. there are entertainers out there that perform for themselves boy i like the way i do this i'm gonna riff this i'm gonna sing this uh i'm gonna do this on a stool and I'm gonna, I want the band to play real soft and, you know, I'm going to give him a solo and that girl a solo. If you're performing for yourself, that's what you're going to end up doing in the long run. <laughs> Always perform 
for the audience. I'm laughing, but that's great advice, people. though. That's great advice. I love that. I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Las Vegas by singer, multi-instrumentalist, impressionist, and comedian Frankie Shinta. Visit his official website at frankieshinta.com. I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. Once you land on frankieshinta.com, you will see logos to engage with him on social media, specifically Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. In addition, he has his own Frankie Shinta official YouTube channel where, among other content, you'll see a video called The Showman, which is a a five-and-a-half-minute reel for the show that you heard him talking about with the orchestra. Keep up with Frankie online so you can see where and when you can go see him perform live, be it there in Las Vegas or out on the road. And coming up, you're going to hear him talk about watching him perform online from the comfort of your own home. I always enjoy the conversations that I have with my guests, but there has been an added element that has made it an even better experience for me. In June, I was at the NAM show in Anaheim, California, and I met the folks from Deconi Audio. I took my headphones out of my backpack and showed them how... Unfortunately, they had enough wear and tear on them that I probably would have had to have found new headphones. However, they sent me replacement ear pads that now have them as good as new, including feeling so comfortable. I even made an unboxing video for my YouTube channel to show you what they did look like. Yuck. (laughs) How you remove the pads and then what they look like now. Understand that the pads that you will get from Deconi will be specific to the brand and model headphones that you wear, which is great news for all you gamers, musicians, podcasters, audio engineers, and other headphone wearers. On my podcast website, nhte.net, look for the Deconi Audio logo to go over to their website to see the styles, colors, the variety of replacement ear pads they have available. That Deconi Audio logo is in the right-hand column of nhte.net for those viewing the website on desktop or you can find it on mobile by scrolling down on nhte.net past the block of social media logos. Frankie, during the pandemic, lots and lots and lots of entertainers took to live streaming to have some means of performing. Mind you, some of them just say, leaned their phone up against the paper towel holder and didn't spend much time putting themselves together to go live on Facebook or Instagram or Twitch or whatever. You, on the other hand, being the showman that you are, you decided if I'm going to do this, I'm going all in with a full studio setup like we're on set for a TV show and you're still doing it to this day. Share with the audience all about that. All right. I'm glad you asked, Bruce. So when the pandemic started about a month, two months into it, we were, Vegas was shut down. And in my lifetime, I never thought I would see this town shut down. Mm. Never. Even when my uncles used to come here, they came here for different reasons. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I, my kids came to me, my son and my daughter, two of my three, the other one lives in Buffalo, New York still. And they said, dad, you should go on live and do something on Facebook. I said, who the hell is going to listen to me? (laughs) Nobody's going to want to, dad, don't listen. Please, dad, just do it. So at that time we had an iPhone. I had now entertainers like me don't have equipment. We don't have equipment. I got a guitar. I got a banjo, a mandolin. I got a bass. I got a piano, but not like sound equipment. So, my cousin Joe in Buffalo, who owns his own uh, digital electronic company in Western New York, he builds parts for the laser tag. He builds the backpacks of all the computer workings. Mm. He's developed, I mean, the guy's done very well for himself. He buys me a Fender amplifier. Wow. Here, you need an amp for the guitar. And then he goes, I'm going to send you a four channel board, digital board, you work off your iPad. Wow. I go, okay. So now we got an iPhone and we got a a four channel mixer and only reverb I had effects was off that amplifier. Mm -hmm. But once I got this little four channel mixer, it was a blessing. Now you mentioned focus, right? I was laughing (laughs) because he sent me a focus, right? And said, here, you can put your tracks into this and they'll play through the amp on one of the channels. So everything went through a Fender amplifier. And the iPhone was on a tripod. 
Well, as time went on, we were getting 5,000, 8,000 views. Mm. So then I had a friend, his name is Paul Vance here in Las Vegas, owns his own sound company. I said, Paul, we're doing this thing on Facebook. We're getting a lot of views. Is there any way you could help me? He goes, you know what? I got a few boards, digital boards. I'll let you use it as long as you want, and I'll give you some speakers. So we got a Midas 32-channel digital board. Mm. And and he came here and showed us how to use it. Now, I knew analog, which is, you remember analog. Yeah, you yeah. want more bass, grab the bass. You grab the potentiometer, turn up the bass. You want less. You know, you had one equalizer on the whole, the whole board <laughs> that right. you could take out the mid range or right wherever it feedback. <laughs> so now we got the world in our hands. Long story short, during the pandemic, I was getting twenty, twenty four thousand views a week. Wow! And during the night, each show we did every week, we were getting five hundred, six hundred people strong watching at the same time. Mm. Now I'm, I'm out of money, not totally out of money because thank God my wife is very smart with money, not her husband, but her. <laughs> and we had money saved to keep us going, but it was getting short. You don't want to go into your savings, you know, yeah. but nothing's coming in, nothing. And the bills keep coming. The bills keep coming. I got nothing from the government like a lot of people did because mm. I couldn't show contracts of jobs that I had uh. that were coming up. And in order to do that, you had to go get a you file him. You had to send them in. You had to wait. And I just go, I'm not going to do that. So my son said, why don't we monetize this? Yeah. I go, no. Mm. I perform because I love to perform. Mm. But then... And I I was crying. Look at damn it! I do this because I love it. I don't want money for this. But Dad, people are asking us because my son produces the show, mm -hmm. and my daughter's on the show, which is another story. I'll get to fast. I'm try, I'm sorry. I'm trying to shorten this as <laughs> quick as I could. And he put up a, a unbeknownst to me, they put up a Venmo PayPal thing, ah. and the money started coming in like a miracle. Mm. I was able to pay my bills, able to feed my family. When I say my family, there were 10 or 12 of us at my dinner table Whoa. every night during the pandemic. Because wow. unlike other families that I watched on the news, that grandparents waving from the street saying, hi, Tommy, happy birthday yeah. from their minivan. Yeah. I looked at my family and I said, that ain't going to happen here. If we're going to die, we're going to die as a family. We're going to be together, all of us. And they all agreed, Mike, all agreed. So we all got it. Little by little, everybody got COVID. We all got through it. And by miracle, we all made it healthy, thank God, out of it. And here we are. And I'm still doing the show every Saturday night, 6 p.m. Pacific time. My daughter sings on the show now. And is maybe because I'm her father. She's amazing. <laughs> and she's got a gift that people love. People just love her. She's very funny. She's a comedian. And she's got, I don't know where she got it from. <laughs> but she's very funny. She breaks my oranges like my brother Joe used to on stage. And it all works. It all works. And we're still doing it. We're still getting a couple thousand views a week. And we're blessed. Yeah, I was I was going to jump in and say that, you know, the that magic word engagement in this day and age for content creators. I looked folks at Frankie's most recent Facebook live. It was about 24 plus hours after I looked at it and there were 998 comments. And this, like I said, was only about 24 or a little bit more hours old. So obviously you've built a, a loyal following there. And it's great that it was there for you to kind of get indoctrinated to during the pandemic, but I love the way you decided I need to embrace this thing and then stuck with it instead of everybody else who said, okay, pandemic's over, no more live streams. And then there's new fans that they've made around the country, around the world who are going, oh, well, I guess they're done with me. 
Right. And I, I'm not going to do that. As long as I can physically do it. Hell, I got my own soundboard now. I got my own Midas board. I got our own speakers. I Now we go direct from a camera. I mean, it's very professional. Yeah. The sounds that people hear, are, it's studio quality. Yeah, and it looks great, too. Like I said, it looks like a, a TV set for a broadcast quality show. People who live in Las Vegas will say, oh, I don't go near the Strip. It's crazy with all the tourists. Now that the pandemic is over and Vegas is back, and, and I guess this can even extend back to the time period between our first interview eight years ago up to just before the pandemic, do you, Frankie, ever go out to see entertainment in Las Vegas just to keep up with what others are doing so you know what else is out there? Or is it kind of, I just want my show to come from me, not from something I see someone else doing? I'm invited to a lot of shows. I have gone to see Elton John, Michael Buble. I like seeing entertainers that give you something to leave with, something that hits you, something that touched you in a way, a smile, a tear, a, a, a memory. That's why I choose those kind of entertainers. Mm. I like entertainment that's going to grab you. And Elton John to see live is just, it was a gift for me. Garth Brooks, who I went to see live when he was at the Wynn, I was invited backstage and I was choked up. I said, I just don't know how you do it. One man, I go, God bless you for your talent. I said, but not only did you sound incredible, but your show really hit me. And I go, but how the hell do you keep your guitar in tune for two hours? (laughs) Typical Italian question, right? And he goes, well, Takamini makes one just for me. Wow. I said, boy, that's, pretty nice. He goes, would you like to see it? And I said, yes. So he goes back and he goes, here's the one I played tonight. And I pick it up. I strum it and it's perfectly in tune. Mm. I go, and I played a few chords. I go, Oh my God. I go, this is beautiful. He goes, I'm glad you like it. It's yours. (gasps) Wow. 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 And I go, yeah. Okay. I go, come on. He goes, no, it's yours. Let me go get the case. Oh, my gosh. Talk about tears mm. and a gift of a lifetime. Wow. And it it was just, it was a spectacular moment in my yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. How that, cool is that? That guitar is in my safe. <laughs> it comes out during the show, and it goes back in the safe mm. when I'm done. Uh, and I wouldn't sell it for a million. Was there ever a point in your career either when you were already established in Las Vegas or maybe at the time you were thinking of making the move out to Las Vegas, was there ever a point in your career where you considered moving to, say, New York or Los Angeles? And and if so, why the decision, obviously, not to go to one of those two? Or did you never consider it? Well, it goes back to me being a typical Sicilian. (laughs) When we signed the big contract at the Rio, which was a huge contract, Some A-stars don't get this kind of contract. Mm. I moved my entire family here. Of course, my brother Joe, my sister Chrissy that were in the show, they moved here. Then my mother moved here. And we moved Mama Shinta here because she was alone in Buffalo. My brother Tony was there who was ready to retire from the Buffalo Police Department uh, after 32 years of service. And I had called the commissioner of police, another Italian guy. And I said, commissioner, you got to call my brother and tell him he's got to (laughs) retire. Why? I go, because we have a contract at the Rio and I want him to work for me, not you. (laughs) And he called my brother and it said, you got to retire. They gave him his pension. Tony moved out to Las Vegas and he worked with us for about five years. And then, worked for Steve Wynn for 10 years and he's retired now. Uh, But after moving my daughter here now and my son, uh, we're all here. Only child that is in here is my Maria. She's in Buffalo, like I said, but I have six grandbabies here. My son with his wife, my daughter and her husband, me and my wife, my brother, Tony's still here. We lost mama Shinta during the pandemic. 
mom had got COVID and we lost her in 20, uh, January of 2020. Yeah, but it sounds like why would you, if someone says, why didn't you move to New York or Los Angeles? It's why would I move there? Absolutely. Because, you know, home is where the heart is, Bruce. And that's the bottom line for me. Uh, I want to be where my family is. Because when everything else is gone, buddy, for anybody out there, when your life is upside down, if there's no money, if there's no hope, or you got to have faith, number one. And number two, to have your family by your side is a gift from up above. Because when I get old, I want my children there. I want them to help me. I want them to help my wife if I can't. And when I go, I want to be where my kids are. That's the bottom line. You've mentioned a few times your hometown. After all these years living out in Las Vegas, you still go back to perform on the telethon in your hometown of Buffalo, New York. And I'm thinking again about the aspiring entertainers who are listening right now and probably wondering, what is in it for him to go all the way there to do that? Children's Hospital in Buffalo developed the drug surfactant, which premature babies, when they were three, four, five pounds even, wouldn't make it because their lungs would collapse. This drug developed in the 60s by Dr. Warner goes into intravenous, goes into the lungs, and it blows up the lung of the child to stay elevated until the baby can breathe on their own. Now the success rate is down to a pound. Mm. And I started doing that telethon when I was nine years old. Wow. From that, I got on Ted Mack Amateur Hour. From that, I got on the Jerry Lewis Telethon. From that, I got on the Merv Griffin show, mm. and I never looked back after that. Wow. So I go back to give to the children, to the community of the town I was born in, and it's always good to give. Yeah, and it's just like that New York or L.A. question. After you just rattled off everything that came from that, it's more, why wouldn't I go back and do that? You've spent so, so much time performing in major hotels slash casinos in Las Vegas. I'm talking residencies at everything from the Rio to the Sahara to the Hilton to the D. If all of a sudden you got the opportunity to come here to Tampa to perform at the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino, does all that experience that I just read off give you the upper hand, or is it a case of, no, actually, Bruce, just because it's a hotel and casino environment, if it's somewhere I've never performed before, I honestly don't know what I'm walking into. I'm ready. <laughs> That's the two words. I'm ready to take the stage anywhere, anytime. And I know a lot of my people are down in the Tampa area. And I am working on that right now to come to Florida. In fact, I'll be there in December doing a showcase in Boynton Beach to uh, with this agent who is uh, agent manager who's handling me down there. And in two days, I will have performed for a lot of people. And then they will have the opportunity to bring me to Florida. Uh, but I'll tell you, I'd love to play that hard rock in Tampa. Yeah, yeah. We used to perform in Tampa. We used to perform in, in St. Petersburg at the Playboy Club. Wow. Wow. How's that? That's before your time. <laughs> Well, we're in the we're in the home stretch here, but on Facebook there are only two items in my saved folder. One is an acoustic performance, one song by the late C.J. Watson, who was the guest on this show way back on episode forty-one. He was a good friend of mine, a singer, songwriter, guitar player from up in Nashville, who left this earth too early for sure. And the other item in my saved folder on Facebook, and folks, he does not know this. The other item in my save folder on Facebook is a live performance by Frankie Shinta with Clint Holmes six years ago at a popular spot in Las Vegas where the two of them were singing You've Lost That Love and Feeling by the Righteous Brothers. And you were starting to criticize all the things I do. It makes me just feel Frankie, you kind of alluded to this before. We we all have bills to pay. Everybody has to make a living somehow. But when people tell you things like that, and I'm, I'm sure that at your live shows over the years, you've heard all kinds of stories meeting audience members. 
does that make it all worthwhile? Is that kind of the, that's why I do this? Absolutely, absolutely, positively, yes. I'll tell you what, there's nights I walk off that camera on my Facebook show from the love and the comments people make, and I break down. Mm. And I'm not a lightweight, trust me. <laughs> I grew up in the hood, and I'm, a, I'm as tough as, I love strong and I hate strong, but when those people, when you know you've reached somebody's heart, when you know you got them and they, they tell you, you've changed my life. You helped us through this pandemic. You're amazing. We love your family for life. That, it's, that is everything, Bruce. Wow. It is the, it's the frosting on the cake. It's the cherry on top of that, boy. Wow. It's the best. Nothing wow. better. Well, final question, and I think I know the answer to this, and I think we've already heard it, but I still want to put it on the record anyways. Rich Little will be 84 years old next month, yet he still appears at the Tropicana Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. Barry Manilow is 79 years old and came out of retirement to return to the stage, including arena dates that he did in the Northeast in August, plus he performs at the Westgate Las Vegas Resort and Casino. There are others, but you get the point. Frankie, will you just keep on entertaining with no regard for age, or or do you ever think about when you'll take your final bow? I, uh, my final bow will be when I take my final breath, mm. and that's the way I perform. I I perform every night like it's the first and the last. I know there will be a last time, but I don't know when it's going to be, and I'm not planning on it. When it happens, I'll do it. But right now, I'm going to perform till I drop. <laughs> That's the answer I thought I'd get, but I just admire that spirit and that determination and, and the enthusiasm that you have. And I know that the audience senses that, that's listening to us talk right now, that watches you on Facebook, and that comes to your live shows. And it's been so great having you back on the show. Thank you, buddy. I, I really appreciate you making time to do this. My pleasure. You're a good man, Bruce, and... Uh... Hopefully we'll do it again soon and we can talk about me coming to Florida. That sounds great. That sounds great. And with that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer, multi-instrumentalist, impressionist, and comedian Frankie Shinta. Do visit his official website at frankieshinta.com. Again, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. As I mentioned earlier, once you land on his website, you will see logos to engage with Frankie on social media, specifically Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And then also on YouTube, look for and subscribe to his official Frankie Shinta channel, where you can see the five-and-a-half-minute video titled The Showman. You heard him talk about the live stream that he still does regularly on Facebook. Keep up with him online for information on dates and times to watch those, but also follow Frankie for details on where and when you can go see him perform live, whether in Las Vegas or out on the road. Please make sure that you are signed up for my weekly e-newsletter, which is free and only comes to your inbox once a week. On my podcast website, nhte.net, pop in your email address to receive that from me each Wednesday to learn about the latest podcast episode, as well as other goings-on, including exclusives that I put in there from time to time. Just as a little sneak preview, next week we'll begin a run of five consecutive on-location episodes from the Florida Panhandle at the Pensacola Beach Songwriters Festival. You won't want to miss all of that. That's going to do it for episode 452. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, and I will leave you with a brief snippet of Frankie Shinta Live. To this day, people still ask me, uh, do you do any of his music? You kind of look like him. I go, Danny DeVito? <laughs> no, no, this guy, you know, Tom. Yes, I know that I love you, and I promise Say, don't you send me away? Oh, no, no.